Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Maverick Mondays. I'm your host, Maverick Peters. It is my intention to change your Mondays, to change your week, and to change your life one episode at a time here on the Maverick Mondays podcast. I've had the incredible opportunity to sit down with some pretty fantastic people. The individuals who are successful in what they do or extremely positive-minded in the way they live their daily lives, those are the people we will be hearing from on this show. Stay tuned for today's guest. Our guest today is Mrs. Lori Polotnik. Alright, so I'm sitting here with Mrs. Lori Polotnik. Uh, she is an educator, a blogger, an author, and a public speaker. She is in Orthodox Jewish Outreach, the founding director of the Jewish Women's Renaissance Project. And she's from Canada, and she's with us here today. Lori, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Um, I just want to update you a little bit. So the Jewish Women's Renaissance Project has now been rebranded, and we are called Momentum. Tell me a little bit about Momentum. What's that all about? So Momentum started in 2008 with eight women from the Washington, D.C. area who got together to talk about what could we do to make real change in the world. And we felt that the best way was to influence the influencer. So we decided to focus in on Jewish mothers because they hold the most important choices that a family will make that affect a family now and for generations to come. And we came up with many ideas and one idea which was to take women out of their home, their, their communities, and to bring them to Israel for an eight-day, highly subsidized, incredible transformational experience in partnership with organizations from their home community. And they go back for a one-year follow-up, and, and real change is happening. Wow. What is the success rate in terms of outreach? With, well, that, with that program? Well, we've had, by the end of this year, 18,248 women, and our data, we're very data-driven, and our data shows that this is a game-changer for a family, that women go back, 14% of our women are now putting their kids into Jewish day school, which is a game-changer. Over 30% of our women are now sending their kids to Jewish day camps. They are, they are in, over 90% of the women are now continuing their Jewish learning, are engaged with Israel, are, in, are talking to people about Israel, supporting their local Jewish communities. The, on every level, we now have trips for men, and for a little bit more money, we can exponentially impact the home, strengthen marriages, which is really the foundation of building wonderful families. That's amazing. Um, I have in front of me that you're an author of several books. Mm-hmm. Give me a highlight of, of your favorite. My favorite book. I'll, I'll say the, the book that resonates with people the most, I believe, and is the most popular, unfortunately, is a book about mourning. Okay. And so even when somebody tells me the book meant so much to them and it was it, that they love the book, it means they've had a loss. The book is called Remember My Soul and What to Do in Memory of a Loved One. Because unfortunately, the Jewish people have gotten farther and farther away from understanding the Jewish foundation of creation itself. And when it comes to what happens after you die, where does the soul come from? What is the soul doing here? And what does the soul do in the next world? They're very confused. Buddhist ideas, Christian ideas. Well, what do we believe? So it really spells out in the clearest way possible of the journey of the soul. 
and it's really written for somebody who's had a loss. Sometimes it's been many years since you've had a loss, and that when you understand that what you do here matters to the person in the world to come, so now do something. So not only does the does the book walk you through the different stages of mourning in Judaism, the hows and the whys and the meaning, and it's filled with a lot of stories of people sharing their losses from all walks of life. It also has, for 30 days, you learn in memory of the person for five minutes a day. It's called uh, an aliyah neshama. It's, a, it's, a, it's an elevation of their soul. That's amazing. What pushes you through your day-to-day, through everything that you do? I'm sure blogging, I have some experience in the blogging field. It's, it can be a lot. So what pushes you to, to author a book? What pushes you to uh, write on your blog or to put together a project? What's that inner drive? I care so deeply about people and I want to help them. And I'm trying to find the best vehicle in which to help them. And whatever works is going to work. So the, these, these trips to Israel and the one-year follow-up has created like over 18,000 people. I've had this in 29 countries. It's incredible foundation. Uh, of, of women and now men who are on fire to share this messaging. But there has to be other ways and to, to reach the, the greater world. The, the Jewish people were, were charged with a mission at Mount Sinai to be an orlegoyim, to be a light unto the nations. That if the world, and if just open up any, news, any newspaper or, or on any site, the world is... is is messed up like there, there's so much pain there's so much conflict it's a very very scary world and it's getting scarier and we understand that it's our fault the jewish people are not doing their job if we were a light unto the nations all nations would rise so we need to get the jewish people to be where they need to be in order to be that example like the oldest child to the world the oldest child has a special relationship with their parents but it comes with responsibility and you're expected to be an example to your siblings that's the jewish people god loves all the nations but the jewish people we do have a special relationship with god but it comes with responsibility jews don't leave judaism because of what they know it's because of what they don't know so if we just spread this knowledge not just to the jewish people but to the greater world and again we're, we're doing we we have momentum which is tremendous the books which are reaching people. I just wrote a, a romantic comedy. It's a screenplay. It's, it's a movie like a Nora Ephron, You Got Mail, regular romantic comedy, and it has Jewish wisdom about love, dating, and marriage in a regular romantic comedy. Why? Because I speak, I lived in Washington, D.C. for 13 years, and I would speak on a regular basis on Capitol Hill. The, the chaplain on the Senate side like, likes me, and he would have me speak to the staffers there. The non-Jews, they're eating this up. They're really? loving this. Why? Because it's it's universal wisdom so to speak the jewish people are supposed to bring this wisdom to the world and we are not doing a good job because we've lost the wisdom how do i get this out there so i thought you know what i'm going to write a movie i i I used to be a copywriter i wrote commercials and then i had my jewish journey and then i started writing books i could write a movie i got a book and about how to write a movie and it's you know it's a certain formula i've seen a lot of romantic comedies on airplanes and so i wrote a movie and i got an agent and now i've got a director and next week there's going to be a a table reading with actors and actresses and good golly miss molly like maybe this is really going to happen and again i i'm not writing a movie just to write a movie We, we need to get this wisdom out there to help people women are being slaughtered out there in the dating world and I want this, this is a chick flick. They're gonna go with the guy they're dating, they're gonna see this movie, and I hope they have a significant conversation afterwards. That'll be interesting to, to collect all of the conversations and all the feedback afterwards to hear. You know, you said that a lot of what you do is very data-driven. 
be very interesting to see all those conversations afterwards. So you mentioned your Jewish journey. What was that like in a, in a nutshell? Well, in a nutshell, I grew up very classically Jewish in Toronto, Canada. Um, what does that mean? It means we did Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, um, dreidel, dreidel, dreidel for Hanukkah. The Passover Seder seemed to get shorter and shorter every year. The joke in Canada before the expansion, because we're very hockey driven there, because it was always the, the Seder always happened before expansion around the, the, the Stanley Cup finals. So it was, wasn't there was four questions at the Seder, there was five questions, because the fifth question was, what's the score? <laughs> and we just wanted to finish it, like at least the, the fifth cup was the Stanley Cup. So that, that's the way, that's how I grew up. My it, brother's bar mitzvahs were more bar yeah. than mitzvah, do you understand? Right. So we, uh, so what happened? I, I ended up in Israel after traveling, I, I wrote a Christmas commercial, and I wrote, the Christmas commercial won a national award. Okay, Jews are very good at Christmas, right? <laughs> I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, it's Irving Berlin. So I wrote this Christmas commercial, I was working in radio, and it won a national award, and I thought like, you know what, before I, I got all these job offers to go to a bigger market, I'm, I'm gonna go see the world. I got a backpack, and went backpacking through Europe. And this was not a time when people did this. This was not the 60s or 70s, this was the 80s. And my friends were going back to get their MBAs. And I'm, I was raised with a lot of art and culture growing up. And I wanted to see the world. I want to see the Mona Lisa. I want to see the Statue of David. So I traveled through. And I had not planned to go to Israel. No plans at all to go to Israel. Had you had been there? I had never been. Okay. Uh, and nobody in my family had been except for my Zadie. And there was a picture. Always, we had this old black and white picture of my Zadie on a camel. So Israel was out there somewhere in the desert. I had no, no plans. And God had other plans. And under very strange circumstances, way too long uh, story to tell, but under strange circumstances, I ended up in Israel. I had all these feelings and I didn't know what they were. And at one point I thought, if I don't leave now, I'm never gonna leave. I wanna live here forever. And it made no sense, so I left. <laughs> and I went back to Europe and I went back to Canada. And one year later, Somebody who I had met in Israel, and you meet people all the time, like if you're ever in Toronto and you exchange information, somebody put me on a list, and I was asked to come in to interview for something called the Jerusalem Fellowships, which was long before there was birthright. Uh, it was a program to go back to, to, for young people, young adults, to go to Israel. It, back, it was six weeks study and tour program. And I, even though throughout that whole year, I had been through all so beautiful, amazing countries, I couldn't get Israel out of my heart and soul. And it just seemed like every time I turned on the radio, turned on the television, or opened up a newspaper, it had to do with either Israel or the Jewish people. It was probably there all along, but I just never noticed it. So when I had a chance to go back, I went back. And about four weeks into the six-week program, I thought, all those feelings came back. I thought, if I don't leave now, I'm never gonna leave. But this time I knew why. It had something to do with God and the responsibility and destiny of the Jewish people and our role to play in the world. And I had a lot of questions. So I figure I'm gonna ask my questions, I'm gonna do it to the source. I'm gonna stay here until I get my questions answered and then I'm going back to my life. I was doing very fine in my life. I didn't go back. Never went back. I, well, I stayed for a year, went back for the summer, I studied and I got my, you know, really trying to find my place in all of this. And then I went back for the summer, then I went back again. And then somebody introduced me to my husband. And guess what? I married a rabbi. How do you like that? <laughs> If somebody would have said to me, like, Lori, in a few years, you're going to go to Israel and you're going to become observant and you're going to marry a rabbi, I'd be like, what are you smoking? <laughs> like, are you, this is like, this wasn't, if you would have listed all the crazy things that could have happened in my life, it wouldn't have even made the list. Like, this was just out of out, from outer space. But, you know, the Almighty has a plan. He definitely does. Was there pushback with your family? Um, definitely. And friends. Amongst my Jewish family and friends, there was pushback. 
uh, my non-Jewish friends were like, you go, girl. Okay, <laughs> this is great. Tell me all about it. This is amazing. This is meaningful. So how did you Why manage? did Jewish family and friends push yeah. back? Because even though I wasn't telling them to do anything, inside, under a lot of layers, every Jew, there's a Jewish soul. And by my doing what I did, it's awoken something w- within them, and they didn't want to go there. So it was really, it was the Jews who gave me a lot of, you know, like, what are you doing? And it's a cult and, 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 and archaic and ritualistic and paternalistic. And it was the non-Jews who were like, this is great, tell me all about it. So you could see, it was very clear what was going on, very clear. So I just did my thing. And um, thankfully, uh, out of four kids in my family, three of us actually became very observant. It was actually my sister had started it. And we thought, like, she was like, whoa, like, you know, we thought she drank the Kool-Aid somewhere. And I still don't relate to my sister and her friends and her community because I, I found that in a, in a Jewish observant community, it's not my sister or that person that you met or that rabbi. It's so vast. It's, so, it's, it's such a kaleidoscope of opportunities and communities and, and thought and idea. There's three women in my family who are very observant. My sister, myself, and my sister-in-law. We vote differently. We married very different people. We have very different lives. We raised our kids differently. We all keep kosher. We all keep Shabbat. We all believe in the Almighty. We all support Israel. Viva la difference. Unity without uniformity. We're one family. Okay. But the Almighty gave us, put us in this world and gave us an instruction book. And I thought the Torah was dusty Bible stories, men in robes walking through sand dunes. Turns out, it's bursting with wisdom for every aspect of your life. The last thing you want to do is blow your marriage or mess up your kids. The Torah is filled with wisdom on how to choose the right person to marry, how to make your marriage successful, how to raise amazing kids, how to be successful in business. If you bought something and it came with an instruction book and you didn't read instructions, there's a good chance you're going to mess up. or not take advantage of what it could possibly do, whatever it is that you purchase. So God put us in this world, gave us an instruction manual. The word Torah does not mean Bible. It's referred to as Torah Chayim, instructions for life. It's teachings. So you read the manual. It's not all or nothing. There's wisdom in there. You, you're, not, you don't, you're not just winging it in this world. The last thing you want to do is build a bridge you know, by accident. And, and, oh, if it falls down, we'll just try again. Nobody wants to mess up their life for, for sure and so when you got this clarity when this when this clicked for you and you realized there's a much bigger purpose to life what was the first big move that you can remember making well the first big move was after the six-week program I didn't get back on the plane that was <laughs> huge okay because almost everybody of the 120 of us got back on that plane and a lot of them went back to become very Jewishly connected and Jewish leaders in their communities. But I was—I knew if I got back on that plane, I would just go back to my life. I so I you really, didn't get on the plane not, with no plan. With no plan. So what did you do? It was for the me? best and hardest decision of my life. Yeah. My plan was, I wanted to get my questions answered. One more Shabbat, one more Shabbos. That's it. I'll stay for one more Shabbos. That's it. And then it was one more Shabbos and one more Shabbos. And then I realized. Uh, I, I'm not going anywhere. So it was not easy. There were I had responsibilities and commitments back there, and I had to. Leave, I left a job, and I, I left certain relationships, and it was a very. I cried a lot of tears. 
But I knew, you know, when you have something inside you and you know it's right, and even if everybody tells you all the reasons why you shouldn't do it, but it's like that gut feeling. What is it? It's like the Almighty is igniting your soul and you have to go with it. And I didn't want could have, would have, should have in my life because I figure if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to my life, all right? I have my degree already. I have my, 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 my award for my Christmas commercial and my career started. It's like, but I didn't want to think like if I, what if I hadn't gone? What if I didn't get up on that plane? What if I would have stayed? So I stayed. I didn't know where I was gonna go, but I knew I was onto something. So there's many things in my life like that and starting Momentum was one of them. When we started this, they were like, this is starting in 2008, in the worst economy since the Great Depression. I'm like, what, what do I think I'm doing? I had to raise, my first budget was $750,000. I'm like, where the heck am I gonna get 750? That's a lot of money. And my budget now is $15.5 million. Wow. So you walk into the sea and the almighty splits it, as long as you're walking in the right direction. So a lot of people see you as this public figure always giving speeches how often do you give speeches well you're catching me on a day where it is <laughs> one after another after another so it's either um I, I do a lot of public speaking but a lot of what i do now is much more strategic in terms of creating national partnerships um getting the israeli government lobbying in the knesset for support and funding and and um and and getting people on board um, I speak at a lot of conferences, the GA, the, the IEC, the different conferences at APAC. And I'm, you know, thank God the momentum has become like a re people know about who we are. And uh, we are, we have over 200 partnering organizations around the world. We do, we believe very, very much that if we work together, we can do so much more. And we mean it. So we are providing 85% of the funding for organizations to be able to bring women who would be, without this would be falling off the Jewish map. So I used to do it at the beginning for the first two or three years, I did every I, I did everything except drive the bus. Okay, I, and if they would have taught me how to drive the bus, I would have driven the bus. I was the fundraiser, the, the, the main speaker, the bus leader, the trip leader, the city leader from my local city. It was crazy, I'm driving the follow-up. But it was clear that this is not sustainable and not scalable. So now there's very few trips that I appear on, that I lead. Uh, I like to do one or two a year because I just, what can I say? I, I love it. And it, it, it also reinforces to me why I do what I do. But a lot of what I do is raising the money to keep this going. Because without the funds and without the support, this incredible movement that has been ignited cannot finish the job. And, and we can do it. So raising funds is not an easy task. No, it's not. The first three letters of fundraising are fun. It's not always so much fun. <laughs> so let me ask you. So, you know, when you're going to someone to pitch this yeah. idea, whether it's, you know, your elevator pitch, or whether it's going to be real quick and you, you know, or you're going to sit down with them and have a meeting, there's a lot that goes into that. What keeps you motivated during those? I'm sure you wake up and you're like, oh, I have to go. I have, to, I have like six meetings with different people and I got to give them the same pitch. You just described my day. <laughs> right. Okay, so, so what keeps me going? First yeah. of all, aside from that gut fire. But every day I'm getting an email or a WhatsApp or a text message from somebody who experienced this thanking me that momentum changed their life. That they this uh, beginning of the school year for sure. It's filled with right now. It's like my WhatsApp is filled with people. This is my son. He's now in day school holding his little Torah flag and it was worth it just for him. It was worth it just for that little boy. It really was. And that's why, or somebody will send me a message, Lori, we called off the divorce. Wow. 
it was worth it just for them. Wow. Wow. So that's that's what keeps me going. Also, I have to tell you, the people were asking to support this. I get to meet the most amazing people, people who are doing good in the world with the resources that the Almighty has blessed them with. And when would I get to meet people like this? I, I'm com- constantly and continually inspired by them. Who do you look up to? A lot of people look up to you, but who do you look up to? Who do I look up to? So I have I have a couple of friends. I actually don't have a lot of friends, <laughs> even though I have 5,000 friends on Facebook. So <laughs> all my Facebook friends out there, hi. Okay, but that, that they're not really friends. It, they're, you know, my Facebook connections. So I don't have a lot of friends because of I'm usually, like you're saying, in the leadership role. So I'm either the teacher or I'm the counselor or I'm the, you know, the founding director and do all the things I do. Do you feel that's a sacrifice? Is it a sacrifice? Um, the Talmud says if you have one and a half friends in your lifetime, you're rich. So even though people go, oh, he's my friend, he's my friend, he's my friend, oh, we're friends. Most people in your life are not friends. They're actually acquaintances. And acquaintances are good. But acquaintances are based on circumstance. We went to school together. And now that we're not in school together, we, we, we never talk. We had the same summer job. Our kids are in the same preschool. We, have, we lived on the same block. But once the circumstances change, like people get divorced or lose your money, you find out who your real friends are. So these people who are like, my friends, my friends, my friends, are not really your friends. Acquaintances are good. It's good to have acquaintances. A friend, haver, is a heavy term. What is a friend? So a friend is somebody who, it's not a mutual building up society. Oh, you're great, you're great too, you're great too. A friend is somebody who's gonna call you on things, gonna tell you you're not so great, like you're messing up here. That's a friend. Why are they telling you that? Because they care. Because it's coming from somebody who loves you and wants you to be the best person possible. And it's mutual. It's not one-sided. You can help each other become greater. A friend is somebody who is there for you no matter what. And if you mess up, they're there for you. They'll tell you you messed up, but I'm here to help you. A friend is like, it's a whole different ballgame. So the Talmud has a whole thing about what's one friend, what's a half a friend, we can't go into it now. But it is something to learn and to understand. And this, don't, we don't take that term lightly. So even though I say I don't have a lot of friends, the ones I have are very precious to me. And those are people who inspire me. You should always have people in your life who are kind of like a few steps above you that you either are your mentors or you aspire to be like them. And they make you a better person just by being around them. You want to be better. And you should have people behind you, so to speak, who you're inspiring. And you should always have that. Life is movement. Woody Allen says, unless you're moving, you're dead. Like life is like a shark, okay? Life is like a shark. Unless you're moving, you're dead. Like that's it. Life is movement. Either you're going up or you're going down in every aspect of your life. If you think you're you're staying the same, you're actually slipping back. If you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice. I could go back. One piece of advice. Like how far? Like 22. Oh, 22? Okay. Let me think. What the heck was I doing when I was 22? I think that's when I was like traveling around. I was I think I was off to Europe. What would I say to myself when I was 22? Um, buckle up. <laughs> An adventure awaits. Now, can I go back a little bit longer? Uh, a little bit back? Can I go to yeah, when yeah, I'm younger? Yeah. Can I say when, and there's things that I would tell a lot of people when they're young, and I would tell my younger self. If I went back to, let's say, high school, junior high, high school, I would say, don't worry so much. Don't worry so much. All the things that you're obsessed about and you're worried about now, I'm telling you, it's nothing. It's nothing. nothing. Nobody ever, ever has asked me what my 11th grade geography exam grade was. Ever, ever. And sometimes when, when I have students and they, they cry to me about certain things, or even my kids, I said, 
you know, my kids come home with report cards. Thankfully, they go to wonderful schools. And the report card has two sides. One is, they're great, right? Geography, history, and on the other side are midot. They're kind, they're considerate, they're, they're sensitive. I tell them, on this side, where your grades are, just do your best. Nobody's good at everything. Do you care if your medical doctor understands world history? You could care less. I hope you know chemistry, I hope you know science, but nobody expects an adult to be good at everything, and we expect our kids to get straight A's across the board. It's ridiculous. Just do your best. These are years to find your passion. On this side, your character, who you are, that's what life is all about. Nobody marries you because of your grade point average. Nobody becomes your friend or asks you advice or looks up to you because of your degrees. It's because you're a kind person, because you're loving, because you're not judgmental, because you're open, because you're sensitive, because you're intuitive, because, because you care. Like, that's what life is all about. And we are obsessed and we, we put so much pressure on our kids. And I put so much pressure on myself over something that, what, like, what are you doing? Like just like this, you really, so many things, um, very, um, there's so many things that hold us back from really taking pleasure in our life because we're either dwelling on the past or worrying about the future. And the past is over and the future hasn't happened. It's insanity to live in illusion. Be here. That is extremely powerful. Let me ask you like this. We're currently in the Hebrew month, Elul. And again, this is not a religious podcast, but throughout the month of Elul, a lot of religious people like to sit down and take an accounting of what they've done in the past year and the past years and try and hone in on a specific trait and work on that trait. And they always say, when it comes to those kind of goals, go small. What, what advice would, would you have for someone who is currently working on their end of the year goals in this month? Okay. What should so they do? You, what should they look for? It's a great question because everybody has you know a financial year end, um, and you're you know, but you can always get an extension on that you know from from the IRS you know to get, So this is your spiritual year end, and there's no extensions. This is it. So Rabbi Victor Miller said the first thing you should do before you you look at the places where you're messed up, where you're messing up this year, and everybody makes mistakes. Before you clear up your mistakes. First, take pleasure. First, think about, count your blessings. Think about all the joys you had this year. Think about the, you, when you saw God's hand in your life, when you came out of something, when like, so many things that we're so grateful for. Start with that. Start with gratitude, then go to the areas that you want to work on. When you say small things, you know, it definitely baby steps are good, and it's good to pick I always tell everybody, pick one thing, one thing that you're going to now take on as an individual for yourself to up your game, to take on another, in Judaism we call it a mitzvah, like, like, to, like something, something that you're going to raise the bar as an individual and as a family. So as a family, we're going to take another step in the right direction. And for yourself as an individual, the Jewish year is not a cycle. Woo, it's Rosh Hashanah again. It just seemed like yesterday. It's a spiral. A spiral is going around, but it's also going up and from year to year. And sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back, but at least you're up a step. You should be always saying to the Almighty, I'm moving forward. I'm trying. I, I, what do we tell our kids when they go off to write the exam? Do your best. Do your best. The Almighty also says, do your best. But here's the mistake we make. 
we do our best compared to our friends. Compared to my friends, I'm a little nicer, thinner, richer, uh, more, more spiritual, more. The, God doesn't compare you to your friends. God compares you to you. And we can all do better. And so one last question. After everything that you've gone through, all your experience, everything you've learned, everything you've taught, what advice would you have for someone who is Jewish, not Jewish? They, they wake up on a Monday, right? The, the name of the show is Maverick Mondays. Kind of jumpstart our week a little bit by hearing from people like you who are successful or positive-minded or both. What advice would you have for that kind of person who wakes up on a Monday, they're not enthused to start their day or to start their week? They just, they don't have that, that inner spark that you seem to possess. What advice would you have for that kind of person? You should wake up every morning and say thank you. The first words out of your mouth. In, in There is actually a Hebrew, Hebrew statement that we make when, we, when, we, when a, a, a traditional Jew wakes up in the morning. It's, Thank you, God, for restoring my soul. Great is your faith in me. You have faith that I'm going to use this day properly. Now, you don't have to say it in Hebrew, and you don't have to say the whole thing. But start with gratitude. Wake up. Thank you. Now, if you wake up, I'm alive. Because alive is potential. It means anything. Anything is possible. That's amazing. Uh, Mrs. Polonik, thank you so much for taking the time. How can people find out more about you, find out more about what you do? So they could go to our incredible website that has a lot of podcasts and, and videos, myself and, and so many incredible other women. You go to MomentumUnlimited.org. MomentumUnlimited.org. Here are some great takeaways from our conversation. Number one, wake up and say thank you. Start your day off with a thank you and a sense of gratitude. Two, what is a friend? Not all the people that follow you on Facebook or Twitter. A friend will call you out on things. A friend will tell you when you mess up because they care and it's a mutual caring. They're there for you no matter what. Three, do your best. When I asked Lori what advice she would give her younger self, she said, do your best. It's about your character it's about building yourself. That's what life is about. Four, compare you to you and not your friends. And five, when it comes to your growth, you're either going up or you're going down. There's never really a status quo. So let's all make sure that we take the steps necessary to keep growing. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This was a real interesting episode of Maverick Mondays. But if you truly want to grow and become the best version of you, and yeah, I mean the best version of you, listen to the episode again, take some notes, review the lessons throughout the day, let them sink in. This is a great way to achieve success and forge a positive attitude, the kind that will break us out of some of the most unmotivating Mondays. Thank you for joining us. Hey, real quick, before you go, if you happen to be listening to this episode on an iPhone or Apple product, please be sure to leave a kind review on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Otherwise, be sure to check out more at www. 
mvpodcasting.com. That's mvpodcasting.com. Thank you.